you both, um, Jane and Roy, to introduce yourself for the podcast. Uh, well, my name is Roy Erasmus. I'm, uh, I'm a counseling therapist and uh, a life coach, and I'm from uh, Yellowknife Northwest Territories. I belong to the Yellowknife Dene First Nation, and I'm uh, Cree and Dene. And my name is Jean Erasmus. My family um, is Alice Tronjo and um, Roderick Simpson from Fort Chippewan in Alberta. And my family, I have 10 siblings. And uh, yeah, so um, a lot of my family are Martins and Simpsons. And um, so I made Yellowknife my home since 2011. And um, yeah, so I'm Cree and Dene and I'm also a counseling therapist and um, we we have our own company. It's called Dene Wellness Warriors. Mm. Well, thank you both. Yeah, this is really exciting for me because I've been wanting to interview a Dene person and Cree, I guess, um, in the area of health and wellness for some time now. And, um, and it took a little bit of... Um, time to organize and schedule to interview you both. And I'm really, really excited. I'm coming to you from the unceded territory of the Algonquin First Nations, just outside of Ottawa. And um, I'm really excited about this. And, and I've been reading some little bits about both of you and your journey into wellness and I would like to ask you is what led you to creating this company that addresses wellness? I'm sure it was many things, but <laughs> what is the most important thing? Like when you tell people that you are on a journey to wellness and, and assisting other First Nations in the area of wellness, what is it that you tell them? Well, um, I've been on a personal journey of wellness since I was about 22 and um, uh, yeah, so, but back in 2012, um, we were looking for some, because I was, I moved to Yellowknife, I needed, um, I needed to work and um, Roy suggested, you know, not I don't know how to say this, but Roy was uh, talking about, you know, that uh, asked me whether, you know, what I'd like to do. And I said, I've always wanted to um, work with, with our people. And um, I've always wanted to be a counselor. So we did some work and looked, looked at it and did some research and what really caught our eye was Rhodes Wellness College in Vancouver and the uh, the program there was was what really got me is that it's experiential and um, so it's like you working on yourself for the whole program it's a three-year program all within 18 months so we looked at that and yeah, and it was something that um, really caught my eye. And I knew that I wanted to work with our people. So 
um, here we are, you know, finished the program, graduated, did our practicums, did, you know, a lot of things to get where we're at. And we started Dene Wellness Warriors in 2014 after graduation. And um, yeah, the sky's the limit, they say, and this is where we're at. And we're really proud of, you know, how far we've come. So thank you. Wow, that's that's great. I, I love how you came to this, you know, like first working on yourself, because in our journey of working on ourselves can lead us to the discovery of how to help other people. We mm-hmm. first have to discover it for ourselves and what works for us. Mm-hmm. And which is, you know, not to say that what worked for you will work for everybody else, but it's it's in understanding who we are and what motivates us helps us help others, right? I, I think that's really the um, the pivotal key to helping others is, is being open to the fact that everybody's journey is different. Mm-hmm. And we walk this path and we help each other, but we all have different stories. We come from different places and the strengths that we tap into is different for each of us. Mm-hmm. And I really get that. And I, and I'm really excited too, that there is, you know, an organization or a company that you have in the North, because the North is so isolated there, that people are, they don't have available to them what people in the cities have. And so I think it's important that Indigenous people empower themselves in their area so that they can help other people. I guess I'm just saying the same thing I just said a few minutes ago, but really is um, having it available. And it's, it's a form of capacity building. It's, you know, so you help yourself, you help the others, and you build that capacity within mm-hmm. the community. And therefore, people in the community can then help their families and help other yeah. people mm-hmm. so you're building that yeah. capacity. Um, so what I would like to ask you is, is there a statement or a noble goal or a noble truth that you are guided by in your practice of counseling others? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what we're trying to do is, is like partially like what you're talking about. We're trying to... Um, uh, enable others so that they can uh, be better people, uh, well, so to speak, better people, they can be healthier. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> not only to, uh, to uh, you know, at the moment, but to continue uh, to be uh, healthier, but and also so that they might be able to, to help other people healthier. Uh, like you said, you know, um, the North is largely isolated and uh, we don't have the same services as as uh, there are down South. Mm. And so uh, a lot of it is uh, providing the capacity to the person so that they can continue to, to work on themselves and to to assist others as well and to encourage others to to uh, take the path so that they might get into counseling, go into treatment or whatever it is that uh, is required. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. That that definitely is. You know, when I look at you know a concept of noble truth or noble goal, it's largely embedded in. Um, you know, the idea of doing something greater than oneself. So it's bigger than both of you. So what you're exploring and the journey that you're on is really bigger than who you are. So in a sense, I feel that you are standing up for the community. You're showing up for the community by example. And, um, and that helps I I know other people in the area of of counseling and guidance and coaching people, sometimes they're met with, I don't know whether it's jealousy or just a negative negative response to what they're doing. Have you experienced that in the community? No, I I can't say that I have. Um, I work in this small community of, you know, a little over 400 and in Delaney and they've always been so inviting um, and open to, you know, what we are offering or what, you know, what I offer there in terms of counseling and and coaching. And they've been, yeah, I I just have seen it, not directly. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, just the support here in the north. Um, what we what we have in the Dene Wellness Warriors is is really um, n- there is no other Indigenous counseling just in the north or in the Northwest Territories at all. So, you know, we come and we offer a lot of programming and stuff. So, but we haven't seen any um negative you know people saying oh you're whatever the you know the thing that we're saying so no i haven't experienced it how about you roy well when gene says we're the only indigenous uh, counseling service she means that's with uh, indigenous services canada Mm -hmm. there are other uh, indigenous uh, counselors Mm. but um for whatever reasons they're not uh uh with indigenous services canada and um so um, when people look for counseling services that they can go to uh, they get a list and we are the only average indigenous people on that list uh, that we are aware of and um, so what was your question again? I'm sorry. We've <laughs> experienced. Yeah, just, just whether or not oh, you get uh, negative feedback from the community. Um, I wouldn't say neg- sometimes I've, I've yeah, I've, I've gotten a couple of remarks, like when people are trying to uh, make a snide comment or something. Mm. But uh, generally, no. And as from people that I that I know, and you know, like they're saying, "Oh, no, uh, oh, is that what counselors do?" Or you know, just yeah. uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, 
I guess, because they don't know what else to say or something, and they're trying to trying to make a, a point in mm. the conversation or something. Yes, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I think often when people don't understand, they reflect by making a joke or something, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it, I guess it could be looked at passive aggressive statement, but yeah. so, you know, what I will do uh, next is ask you, and I was wondering this myself while I was doing, you know, looking you up online is how did you come up with the name Dene Wellness? Is it just because of being in the community and being part Dene? What else was it about, you know, about the name and your business, you know, Dene Warriors? You know, like, what does that evoke in people when they read that, the name of your business? Well, we... um we really wanted because when we did the training, it was we got a wellness um, diploma, we got a you know a professional counseling diploma, we've um, and a coaching cert, um, certification. So, um, so what we wanted to do is be part of the healing, part of people's healing, and uh, the Dene part is because we are Dene. Right. So and we are mostly serving Dene people in the north, but it's all, you know, it's not specific to Dene people, but we do go to the communities. We knew we were going to go to the communities and, you know, offer workshops, wellness workshops and so forth out there. So like it just it just sounded like warriors. We are wellness warriors, you know, so we're trying to ensure that um that we live a a healthy life mm-hmm. and that we are the mentors for others to follow so that was really uh, meaningful in trying to find a really good name for our for our company we also wanted it uh, to be uh obvious in the name that uh that we are indigenous people and that we're providing services uh, mm-hmm. To indigenous people. Wellness services. Wellness services, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Yes. Yeah. And so what what about warriors? What are the key component of a warrior that you see in the population you're serving? Mm. Well, um, that's our essence, right? It's mm-hmm. it's who we are as as um DNA people, Metis people, uh, you know, Inuit people, that is our essence. Our warrior is, is within us. So um, we are trying to tap into that. We're trying to bring that out in people by, you know, you know, helping them to heal. And um, because that's, that's who we are. We're yeah. strong, man. Somebody said to it this weekend to me, and and it was so powerful. She says, "We are so dang resilient, <laughs> you know. We are so so resilient, and um, and that speaks to the warriors within us. So it's true. <laughs> we are strong. We yeah. are." Bang. And no matter what's thrown at us, we come back, you know, we fight and we, 
Yeah, so that's that's the essence of being a warrior. Mm, yeah, I get that. And so what are the characteristics? Well, we did see the the word warrior um, in other names. We were actually down in Vancouver at the time when we were trying to, uh, well, when we were moving forward and uh, and part of it was to uh, to come up with a name. So we saw the name warrior, uh, the word warrior in other names, and we said, oh, man, that's exactly what we are. We're warriors. We're fighting for wellness. And um, we want uh, people to know. And people, people have commented on the name, you know, man, that's a really good name for what you're doing. So... Yeah, seems like we chose a good name. Yeah, well, when I look at it, I I see that, um, I mean, you're right in that, you know, you chose a name that identified who you were, that you were Indigenous people, and also that you're warriors, you know, so, so, because you can include yourself in that name as warriors, because you're part of the Dene Nation people. And it really makes sense to me. And I think when people, you know, that you have offered your services to look at the title, you start already a conversation with them that they are warriors, they are empowered. And I'm really, really big on empowering people from the, from the start of a conversation. So when you start in a counseling session, identifying the people you are serving as warriors, you start from a, po- a place of power. Mm-hmm. And I really like that in your name. Um, other than that, what, what are the other characteristics of a warrior that you see in the, in the community and the people that you are serving? You know, other than resilience and strength, what other characteristics of a warrior do they possess? I think when, um, you know, when the people that we've worked with in all over the place, we've gone to so many communities. And what I noticed that is um, evident of, of that term is um, never stopping, you know, they're always striving always wanting better for their communities as well better for their families for their you know their loved ones and um sometimes it's hard to be compassionate and as but in the face of adversity when there's you know losses and there's you know tragedies in the communities people do do come together you know so they um, they work so they don't just let people fend for themselves mm. in times you know hardships and stuff. So they're always wanting, and they're always wanting that for the community. So I think that that's that's really evident for mm. me. How about you? Yeah, uh, Jean touched on that. You know, like the uh, area that uh, uh, it's like. It's the community 
you know, the collective mm -hmm. that uh, uh, the people, most of them, at least, you know, they're, they're thinking of the community, not just themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, especially when we're in the city and uh, uh, that type of thing, you know, a lot of people, all they think about is just themselves. And when we work with uh, <clears throat> with uh, our people here, they, you know, most people are not only thinking of themselves, but also the collective and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to better the collective and uh, what will, will help the collective. So I think that's a, a huge part of, of being a warrior is to, uh, to be wanting to not only, you know, you're, you're not only doing things for yourself, but for, for the collective as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think, I mean, when I look at um, the collective and people's, standing up for each other collectively, they empower the group as a collective, right? I mean, when you're just out for yourself, I, I recognize that, that it's actually weaker because mm -hmm. if you empower the collective, Absolutely. it's much stronger, right? And healing. So that's, yeah. that, that makes sense to me perfectly. Um, so, the next question I would like to ask is, in the community you are serving, what is the primary issues? Is it, you know, is uh, residential schools a big issue? You know, the trauma resulting from residential schools, is that an issue that people are wanting to talk about? Not so much um, what happened to them in residential school, but the effects of residential school and that's primarily um you know addictions um family breakdown uh you know just all of the you know what it is like <laughs> you know the the um abuses and and traumas that people have experienced so those effects are what show up in in all the people that we've been working with so and but they're they're will they're they're really wanting to help themselves you know mm. there's a lot of people who are coming out who are um showing up for mm. for counseling appointments and um really wanting a better life for their children. And when they look at um, the motivational um, piece, it's so that their children and grandchildren don't have, have to experience what they did and that they get healthier with each generation. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Jean. It's, uh, it's primarily the effects Mm. A residential school and colonization in general, I guess. Mm. Is, uh, actually, most of my clients have not gone to residential school. Mm. And uh, some of them, families have. but their families have, family members mm. have. Right. Um, and in most cases, their parents have not told them about what happened. Mm. Or their grandparents. Or if they have, it's just a superficial. Like my dad went to residential school and he used to talk about it, but you know, he didn't talk, uh, he didn't tell us that much about it. Mm. 
Um, but I, he did say some things. And uh, I guess, I don't know, I guess I should have asked more questions. But at the time, I wasn't into wellness. And I did sober up, of course, before he passed away. But um, it took me a long time to, to <laughs> I didn't work on myself right away, you know. Mm. And I think a lot of us are like that. When we sober up, we, we think the job is done. We're sober now. So we're going to live, mm. you know, and we, and we do, you know, once we're, we sober up, we uh, go to school, we get degrees and all these various things. But then like in my instance, I didn't really work on myself that much. I went to AA and all that, but, and I heard people talking about working on themselves, but I didn't necessarily do that. Mm. So, yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, I think that's a big part. Of, uh, of 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 our work is with people wanting to help themselves and and they're talking about the effects and in some instances it's uh, well it's intergenerational they call it which means that it's the the next generation or even a, a second generation so the children grandchildren great grandchildren of people who have gone to residential school and of course you know those people are not going to talk about residential school because they didn't experience it. Right, but yes. but the people that do go to that did go to residential school, they will talk about it. Yes, and I think that you know when they because I'm a former um, survivor. Well, I'm a former student and uh, went to two residential schools. So my experience was, um, you know, however traumatic it was and luckily um you know I've been clean and sober all spent all my life so um and then you know when I think about my family and the structures of my family and how we survived and how um you know addictions has had affected my family and um, you know, in relationships. <laughs> so it was quite compelling when, you know, when I was looking at my family history and, and how um, residential schools affected, you know, just from my, my parents and all of my siblings and the grandchildren and the great grandchildren. So from my mother's, um, you know, from my mother's, um, what do you call it, from her generation. So it's been, it has been tragic. It's been tragic. So, you know, when I think about my family, how many others are, are experiencing that? So I think that the work that we do and that we are healthy, that we are the role models, you know, this is the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. and. Um, so we become the role models for, you know, for the people that we are working with. So I think that that's important. And uh, how many generations in your family went to residential school? Yeah, I th three generations that I know of. On both sides. Right, on both sides. So, um, yeah, it's three generations. Holy man, that's like, 
<clears throat> and then to think about, you know, the, the generations since my, you know, I've gone. So that's, you know, my, my kids and my grandkids, that's two generations after me that mm-hmm. haven't gone to residential school. So yeah, the, the legacy of it is, is it hurts. <laughs> it hurts down the line, you mm-hmm. know, but it gets better. Mm. It really does get better. So on my side, uh, my dad went to residential school, but briefly, he went to Fort Resolution, and uh, after in his second year, he wrote to he sneaked a letter out through one of his relatives that was going to the day school, and his dad came and got him. Yeah. And my mother never went to residential school, so although her dad went. And um, I'm not sure about my dad's uh, parents because I didn't really delve into that at the time. If it was now, I would be asking him a lot of stuff. But, you know, at the time, I don't know, we just didn't. And, And not only that, but, you know, for some reason, I thought, you know, it was different up here. I thought it was different from down south that. Mm. all the things that happened didn't happen up here because the only uh, thing that I saw was a cage hall and it was really well run. And my, my cousin worked there and, and uh, all the atrocities didn't seem to happen there. So, you know, that was the only example that I, that I saw firsthand. So mm. of course I didn't go there. But I did go to the dances there. (laughs) I met a lot of students, young people from across the north, because they went to Sir John Franklin High School and they went to Mm. Cape Hall. So I met a lot of the kids. But that was my experience with with the residential school. So I didn't really ask my dad much about it. Yeah, Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, Thank you for, you know, talking a little bit about yourself and your experience um, with uh, residential schools. And what I was interested in knowing is how would you define intergenerational trauma? Yeah, it's like um, I've been writing a lot about my family and how... um, their perceptions of certain events in our family. Um, For instance, you know, when my dad died and, you know, what happened there. And also, you know, thinking about my, my grandmother's relationship with my mother who, who are both survivors. And so that, that relationship was, Oh, it, it it was dramatic. (laughs) It was impulsive. It was dirty. It was, it was painful to watch. And then my mother and my, you know, my, some of my siblings and, you know, that relationship as well, you know, so the, how to parent. Um, So my grandmother learned from the nuns, how to parent my mother and, and my, her siblings. And my mother learned from the, from the nuns, how to parent us as Mm. children children right it it was hard fist it was um you know everything had to be clean um there was you know everything was just like 
you do the things that I say and that's it. Don't, right? It's, it was really authoritative. Mm. And there was not much nurturing, not much, you know, there was bits of it, but it is intergenerational. So my grandmother, the way she parented affected the way my mother parented, affected the way I parented, and then my children, how they parented. So that's four generations. And um, so the effects of that, you can see it's trickling down with each generation and how it affected each in its own way. And the more, uh, but the the flip side of that is, you know, when when you say about resiliency, how that too um, is an intergenerational, right? It's Mm. not just all the bad stuff. It's the good stuff that I remember, right? Uh, Going on the land and um, uh, all the things that that we used to do. I remember my grandparents doing that, right? Just bringing us in the bush and my mom knowing how to, you know, clean hides and cut up fish and dry meat and, and so forth. And unfortunately, I didn't learn that because we moved to the city. And um, so it's it's that intergenerational stuff. It's not only the bad stuff. It's the good stuff too that we're, you know, mm. that we've learned. And um, I think that that's really, really important when you say about intergenerational trauma, but it's also intergenerational. What would the word be? Um, healing, right? That intergenerational healing part of us, you know, that, that we're passing on to our children as well. So and I think a huge part of that uh, healing that uh, Jean speaks about is uh, just, you know, being on the land mm. and uh, what that does for people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, we see people, uh, they're really, really good when they go on the land. You know, they know how to hunt, they know how to fish, they know how to, uh, uh, you know, skin their, their animals, their mm. They prepare their meat, prepare their fish, get wood, all that stuff. Everything that's, uh, you know, related to that, you know, setting Mm -hmm. up camp, taking it down, getting there and getting back home, you know, and and that's when, when we, you know, it's, that's healing. People get on there, get on the land I got and it's healing. So, so I think that's part of our, the resiliency of, of our indigenous people is that, you know, people want to get on the land all the time and they do, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, you really see it up here. You really yeah. see it in the North that um, going on the land is, is people's best um, memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so. And people will be like, you don't even want to talk to them, so so to speak, when they're in town, you know, because they're drinking, maybe doing drugs all the time, and mm. but you get them on the land, and man, they just after they come alive, they come alive, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're relying on them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So the tables are turned. <laughs> tables are turned. Yeah. yeah. No, that's really, really, that's a good. That's really good insight, I think, to recognize 
you know, the, the, um, the skill set that people have on the land, mm-hmm. it's really based on survival, right? Mm-hmm. And so to recognize that, do you use that in your counseling? Do you tap into some of the skills and strengths that people have on the land as an example or analogy in when you're counseling people for them to recognize? It's foundational. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a no brainer to say, OK, <clears throat> what do you know about being on the land? What do you remember? Right. Mm-hmm. Just that that um, that memory. Um, and right away, their face lights up. I remember, you know, mm-hmm. the smell of smoke and knowing that there's going to be food cooking and laughter and, and, um, you know, there's going to be somebody going fishing or, you know, they, it's all based around those memories that, that brought families together, you know? So when, when I'm counseling, even though they've been through tragic um, experiences, I mean, those are the highlights. Those are the things that are foundational. That that's that you know when you think about um, intergenerational trauma, this is intergenerational healing. Like I said, right? So it's passed down to their children and their grandchildren. And um, yeah, I, I remind them all the time: go outside, go outside. Right? That's where the healing is. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another part of it is like, uh, you know, I'll point out like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm well educated. So that's, you know, I have skills in that area and I also have skills in the office and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't have the skills that you have when you go on the land. Mm. Right? If we were both on the land now, you'd be doing all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't know how to do and you'd have to show me how to do it. Or I might not survive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I I always point that out as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because, um, well, like sometimes we think, oh man, that guy is uh, stupid. You know, he doesn't know how to do that. But you know, <laughs> they're not <laughs> stupid. It's just that they don't have the experience in that particular area. Yeah. You know. On the other hand, they likely know stuff that we don't in other areas. And then if we don't know how to do it, they go, oh, man, that guy's stupid. You know? <laughs> so, but it's not a matter of uh, being stupid. It's just that you don't happen to have that particular skill, but you'll be skilled in another area. And so it's important that we remind our, our clients, you know, about the skills they have on the land and, Mm-hmm. And other skills that they have, their um, their strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that they have so many gifts that <clears throat> that they're probably not even aware of that they, they take for granted as well. You know, it's like, oh, I know how to um, prepare a hide. I know how to do that. Mm. Right, and that is huge. Like that's you know, in, that's intergenerational uh, knowledge. So, yeah, it's it's part of their DNA. <laughs> so that's important. And we got to remind them all the time that, yeah, 
you're not all the hurt. You're not about the hurt. That doesn't, I, you know, define who you are. It's being a Dene person or, you know, an Indigenous person and all the gifts that you have that define who you are. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I get that. And I hear that, you know, just even in speaking with you both, I can hear the pride when you talk about the activities on the land that the clients demonstrate mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. demonstrate their skill. And <clears throat> it's coupled with re- resilience and survival and pride in knowing that they know these traditional activities, you know, that mm-hmm. they, they know mm-hmm. how to survive on the land. And especially now in the pandemic, it's probably outmost in their mind survival right Mm -hmm. and so um it's a really good I guess reminder that that you have with them to draw their attention back to you know some of the the good memories they have of their their childhood their grandparents their parents on the land because that helps them survive in today it, it might not be, you know, it might be, you know, hunting, fishing, so that they can provide sustenance and food for their family, because prices are going up in the pandemic. And so those things are more difficult to have. So um, being able to have that skill to provide for their family, not only will give them a sense of accomplishment, but would also give them a sense of confidence and pride. Mm-hmm. And that's, that leads to wellness as well, because they are, they're feeling like they've, they're contributing to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm noticing the time and I often like to, and it went by so fast. Like I, I so love speaking to both of you, um, you know, having tea while well, I'm having a smoothie and you guys are drinking tea. Um, and having this conversation because I really feel the passion you have for this type of work and it's so exciting. So what I would, in the, the last few minutes, what I often like to do is, and we've spoke a little bit about, you know, the resilience and the positive side of, of leading people into wellness. How would you, I mean, I would like to end the podcast with you telling little bit more about your your company your wellness company and the services you provide to to people in your community so that somebody listening to the podcast if they haven't um, been introduced to you and know what you're doing they they are compelled to contact you well <laughs> Okay, uh, we primarily provide uh, counseling services and uh, and uh, workshops, and um, our people approach us. Communities largely approach us to to do workshops, wellness workshops. And uh, <clears throat> but right now we're also uh, in the middle of uh, of training uh, sixteen people to become 16 indigenous people from the Northwest Territories to become counselors. Mm-hmm. And it was actually Jean's idea. 
to do this. And uh, so we went to school with uh, Ro at Rhodes Wellness College in Vancouver. So we talked to them after uh, Jean convinced me. <laughs> Took a little while. <clears throat> I guess I didn't want to do the work. <laughs> but anyways, we approached them and um, uh, we thought, well, we'll bring the program here because it's... Uh, it's experiential, and uh, we want uh, people to be healthy. The, the, the students, the eventual counselors, to be healthy. So, um, and that way, if we bring an existing program here, we don't have to invent the wheel. We don't have to invent the curriculum and all that to get certified with the government of the Northwest Territories and to make it so that people can get student financial assistance that's a huge part of it is the funding right yeah. <clears throat> so that's what we did and i'll let jean talk more about it since mm -hmm. that was <laughs> her her um, her baby her huge idea and so once uh once we got into uh going with that then it's been pretty consuming for the last couple of years <laughs> but yeah so that's basically what we do and um we also go to the communities. Um, uh, Jean goes to Delaney, and I go to Hay River. Mm. Uh, the uh, Indigenous, we, we work through primarily through Indigenous Services Canada. Um, <clears throat> and uh, people come to see us as well from various communities, uh, uh, but they have to be from a certain area because there will be other counseling service providers that are providing services in different areas. And so people have to go to the, uh, the designated uh, service provider for, for that area. So people come to see us and um, we, uh, like I said, we do workshops as well. And people, uh, usually a community will, will come and or phone us and talk to us, or else it might be a uh, an organization from uh, within a community. Mm -hmm. And usually they'll they'll have the workshop for for the whole community. They'll open it up for anybody who wants to come, and they have to sign up. And once they they have the amount of people that they want, like say twenty, then they have to cut it off, or they might have a waiting list because, of course, you know people sign up, but a lot of times they don't show up. Mm. So. Uh, not all of them, but you know there'll be some. So they'll take more than than they need if, uh, if that's how it is, and then they'll have a waiting list. So if people don't come, then the other people that can can come on short notice. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jean's well, I'll let Jean talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, back in 2019, I I was offering support at an event. Um, hosted by Indigenous Services Canada, and all of the um, resolution health support um, people were there from all over the three t territories: Northwest Territories, Yukon, and and Inu Inuit, <laughs> yeah, and the Inuit community. So, um, and you know, so 
when I was speaking with the uh, person from Indigenous Services, she said that there was three, there was 54 counselors in all three territories and that I was the only Indigenous counselor. So, um, so when I, when that, like, I was just like, and all of these people are working with our people, residential school survivors. And I said, that is not right. You know, out of 54 counselors in all three territories working with our people, I said, you know, I need our people, you know, in the front lines there working with our people. So that's why we, um, you know, approached Rhodes Wellness College to partner with us to deliver the program. And because we really wanted healthy counselors out there. So we um, ensured that the, some of the criteria for the for the students is that they were sober at least one year. Mm. And um, because they were going to be, you know, working on themselves and working really like yeah, peeling off the layers of trauma and um, working on themselves and they needed to be so clean and sober. So, um, so the program came and I was like, so, you know, so, so happy that we were able to uh, partner with, with Rhodes. And um, now the students are in their last semester and a lot of them have, like, you, you can see changes in, in the students and, and how they see, you know, their role going back to their communities, because they're all from the North Territories. And uh, I can't remember how many, 11, 11. 11 communities. So 11 communities are going to have new counselors that are very well um, trained and um Healthier. And healthier. Yeah. That's the piece. And um, so they're going to be offering all the same services that we do. And we need our people out there. So, well, we can't have enough Indigenous wellness coaches for sure. Uh, <laughs> we cannot. Yeah. Um, so, I would like to ask you um, can you give an example of a workshop that you've delivered? Mm, nice. Oh, well, let's say, okay, we did a grief and loss workshop last summer in, um, one, in Fort Good Hope. And um, it was quite well received and how, you know, people who signed up, they showed up every day, you know, and it was, um, you know, learning about what is grief? What is loss? What happens, you know, and complex grief and what happens when, you know, when you um, experience grief in an unresolved grief, you know, and how that shows up. And each and every one of the participants were experiencing those same things. Mm. So like we, we go from, you know, getting to know each other, to learning about grief, their experience, using their experiences and what to do. And then in the end, you know, it's usually, we were there for five days and 
very intensive because we are counselors. We're able to use our skills to counsel them one-on-one as well. And, um, you know, so that's, that's the, that's the key, you know, because we are unraveling a lot of, a lot of um, grief that way. And, you know, so we, do all sorts of things in between, you know, using our skills um, as facilitators because we were really well trained. And um, in the end, they left feeling lighter, uh, you know, able to, um, you know, leave with, you know, their spirits feeling you know, that they want to celebrate and that, you know, they, they worked on you know the the losses that they experienced and um, recognize how a lot of other people are are um, experiencing their grief as well. Mm. So yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. So you know, like Jean was explaining, that you know we we provide a lot of information, mm-hmm. and there's also interaction between the you know the uh, participants. Um, but we also have a lot of what we call icebreakers. So in between, uh, because we, it can't all be just uh, learning and, uh, uh, oh. you know, the tough stuff, the tough sledding, you got to have some fun too. So we have these little fun things, little games and stuff in between the uh, the learning events. And uh, yeah, so... You know, we make you know we do some little silly things, and some, you know, some some of them might be active, you know, and but yeah, so interactive and active to make them move around, you mm-hmm. know, so that um, get rid of that uh, that energy and to and to get them more energized, and that's mm-hmm. why they're called energizers, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so we do a lot of that as well because. Um, you know, people, well, you can't just have them just uh, sitting around just serious, you know, for, mm-hmm. for three days or four days or whatever it is, mm. right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a huge part of it as well. Yeah. That that sounds exciting. I want to know what fun things you get them to do. Give me an example. I like well, fun. <laughs> Tell me some of the fun, <laughs> silly things you get them to do. Oh, one of the things that we do is um, we, there's this game called um, where you choose a nursery rhyme with a genre of music. And so they, let's just say Mary had a little lamb with rock and roll. So, (laughs) um, and we divide the group into three or four, and then they have to, act it out and so and they find all of the the tools within the camp you know so a hat or a guitar might be a you know a a broom or you know stuff like that so they're singing Mary had a little lamb with a rock genre so Mary had a little lamb like and it's really um touching on you know them getting out of their comfort zone and doing something fun and and um, taking a risk and like that is a huge but that's one of the things that they really really love Mm -hmm. Um, interesting to see Roy do that (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, we do. Yeah, we're, we participate yeah. as well. We participate as well. Yeah. Another one is to use as uh, what are they, tights? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you use tights and put a put a, uh, potato, a or potato or something inside of it. And then you have to not hit a potato, but you can't use your hands, right? You tie it around your waist and you have to have, you know, a, race. have a race down someplace and, and <laughs> come back or else your partner comes back. And so, you know, we some of them are active. We make them move. But other ones is just like word games or something. And, and one of them is two truths and a lie. So everybody has to tell, every, you know, so that you get to know each other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you tell, you come up with three things about yourself. Two of them is true and one of them is a lie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So sometimes I'll say, oh, my first five girlfriends were, were all Caucasian. They're all white people. <laughs> and <laughs> they always think it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but it was true. <laughs> and, then, and then Jean will say, Oh, I'm a world champion pool player. And then she'll say some other stuff. And then, oh, that's a lie. <laughs> but it's true. She is a world champion pool player. Oh, and it is it's really um it's really about you know that little inner child in you that that needs to come out right because it's sometimes because of all of the traumas they're just withdrawn and sitting sitting with it and being afraid to to show their vulnerable side so we we are really good at at um helping them to bring bring that part of themselves out and to play right it's all because you know when you're healing it's the playfulness that comes out it's the laughter it's the music it's the dance it's the you know that part will come out once you start to heal so mm. yeah we're really creative when it comes to you know those those energizers mm-hmm. it's we try to do something new every time, you know, we find different things that will motivate them, that will bring out, um, you know, bring out a lot of, of um, them, their little children and, <laughs> and they love it. So, yeah, because this is heavy work, you know, this is yeah. really heavy work when you're, you know, when you're talking about traumas, when you're talking about intergenerational um hurts and um yeah but there's balance we always look for balance right and yeah. part of it is being creative and just having fun we need to learn to have fun sober <laughs> yes yeah absolutely i totally yeah. get that i mean yeah. um so roy did you have more to add to it uh, well, no, I guess Jean just hit it at the end there because, you know, laughter is is so important. Mm-hmm. And uh, our people really like to laugh, you know, like to tell stories and make each other laugh and stuff. So so we try to use uh, laughter. And in fact, some parts of our, of our workshops is all about laughter and depends what we're, what we're doing. Mm. So, yeah. 
laughter is a huge part of, of stuff mm -hmm. for sure i remember doing this one workshop um in fork and hope it was on the land uh, a couple of years ago and we're and i had mostly men in this workshop never have i ever been in a workshop where there's more men than women and um so we did a mirror so everything it's like so one person would be doing okay brush your teeth you know or um show us your muscles you know so they're mirroring each other and they're doing that and it brought a lot of laughter and in the end I said sing a song and they started singing a song <laughs> everybody was doing that and then they started singing hey nan and ho ho hey nan. and they were just like singing and then they were then they did a drum song you know it just turned into this you know the people were starting to sing and and dance, and dance yeah. right and that's how we ended the the wow. workshop it was so magical <laughs> well it sounds really exciting and I'm sure people you know having if they listen to this podcast and subscribe they will want to get find a way to contact you so what is the best way to contact you um our email is denawellness at gmail.com uh they could also go on our website which is denawellness.ca oh roy's number would be 867-446-0412 my number is 780 983-5811. She still got her oh, Edmonton <laughs> phone number. <laughs> I've had that number for, I think, since they had cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to I didn't want to get rid of my number. <laughs> well, thank you both very much. I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm yeah. sure people will as well. And I like the the way we ended it in such a, yeah. a laughter and lightness, because yeah. you're right, it is serious. Trauma yeah. is serious. And yeah. healing and wellness is a serious, serious, I guess, mental health issue. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you have to have balance and everything and ending it in, in this way in a in a fun way. Yeah it gives it that balance and it lightens the load of the conversation that was so serious. Right. Yeah. I think I have 1% battery left on my, on my laptop. So we might get cut off. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a good place to end. And I, yeah. I, like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to you interview asking. you both. Really yeah. great. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. Cho, yeah. Really nice to see you again. A long time. <laughs> it has been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. You guys are doing great work. And uh, I look forward to reading all sorts of positive, good things about the your company and what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Really looking forward. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Many blessings right. to you. Okay. Thank Take you. Take care, Angelina. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.